Good evening. Tonight we are going to jump into Genesis chapter 14. And so, uh, you know, the book of Genesis is is broken up into chapters and verses. This is a, just a quick bit of history about the writing of the Bible. When the Holy Scriptures were written many years ago, they didn't contain chapters and verses. This is actually an invention of the Middle Ages in which as biblical scholarship got underway, it became very difficult for learned people who knew the Bible to refer to specific passages unambiguously. And so I guess a brilliant monk at some point said, why don't we just put numbers behind everything? So sometimes the divisions seem kind of awkward. Uh, Even the books themselves, because of the way they're written, have been artificially chopped up. So Samuel was actually one book at one point. Now it's first and second Samuel. Kings was a book. Now it's first and second Kings, Chronicles, and so forth. Sometimes you you kind of are reading the passages and you go, why is there a chapter there? So that's why I'm saying this. Uh, you'll be you'll be reading along and all of a sudden it'll stop and you'll be like, why is this a new chapter? It seems to continue. Point being, tonight we're going to continue the story of Abraham or Abram at the time, and we're going to talk about some events that happened as he was starting to learn who God was. And as a very quick recap to this class, Abram was the father of essentially the Israelite or Hebrew nation. And what we're seeing is a man who doesn't know hardly anything about God, who we call God the father, father of Jesus. Abram knows very little about him. And and we're finding an old man who has been called out of his home in the Middle East to the promised land, which is what we call the modern day country of Israel. And God is slowly revealing himself to Abram through a series of encounters, dreams, visions, and covenants that he's going to make with him. We have seen the story of Abram as a man who God came to him. Really, Abram didn't know a whole lot about him. Abram said, I want you to trust me. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your descendants. And we've come to find that Abram is a very old man who has no children, His wife, Sarai, is barren. We're going to talk about that tonight. Cannot conceive. And so that's a big deal. And now we have Abram having God reveal himself saying, I am your God. I am the God of the universe. I'm going to bless not just you, but the entire world through you and your offspring. And you have this man looking at him like, oy vey, I'm old. I have no children. There doesn't seem to be any prospect of having children. And this is really important for us tonight to start to see how God's promises come. And sometimes we have to be patient about that. We saw Abram have a a bit of a challenge. He had to flee his home in Israel to Egypt because of a famine. And he made some bad choices, kind of going into the Pharaoh or king of Egypt, lying about his wife, we saw those missteps. We see some missteps from Abram, but God seems to be very patient and very forgiving about this. Now we're going to see Abram continue to grow in his faith, and we're going to get to this point here in Genesis chapter 14. What I think we'll do is just go ahead and start reading it. And I'd like a volunteer, and I think we're going to try and read three chapters tonight. I'd really like to get through 14, 15, and 16. They're not very long. And like I said, they're kind of chopped up continuations of the same story, so I kind of want to just get through them. So who would like to read Genesis 14? Excellent. Excellent. You picked the one with the not very hard name, so very good. Let's see here. All right. 
maybe. Here we go. I like it's they're very bad. <laughs> well, they're all gonna be pronounced wrong. So anyway. <laughs> About this time war broke out in the region. King Amraphel of Babylonia, King Ariok of Alasar, King Kedor Lomer of Elam, and King Tidal of Gom fought against King Bera of Saddam, of Sodom, King Birsha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Adma, King Shemaber of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, also called Zor. This second group of kings joined forces in Siddim Valley, that is the Valley of the Dead Sea. For 12 years, they had been subject to King Ketalomer, but in the 13th year, they rebelled against him. One year later, Ketalomer and his allies arrived and defeated the Raphites uh, at Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zazuts at Ham, and Ham, the Emites at Shevei Karathium, and the Horites at Mount Seir. As far as El Perrin, at the edge of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to In Mishpat, now called Kadesh, and conquered all the territory of the Amalekites, Amalekites, and also the Amorites living in the Hazazan Tamar. Then the then the rebel kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, and Bela prepared for battle in the Valley of the Dead Sea. They fought against King Kedel. Keter Lomer of Elam, king of King Tidal of Goam, King Amraphel of Babylonia, and King Ariok of Elisar, four kings against five. As it happened, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits, and as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into the tar pits, while the rest escaped into the mountains. The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew who lived in Sodom, and carried off everything he owned. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives Eskel and Aner were Abram's allies. When Abram heard this, his nephew Lot had been captured. He mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Ketolomer's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Ketolomer's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. After Abram returned from his victory over Ketolomer, 
and his and and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and the priest of God Most High brought Abram some bread and wine. Uh, Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamer. You did amazing. I just want to say, you get the trophy tonight. That was <laughs> He'll never make that mistake again. No, I appreciate that. Um, I want to make a quick comment about the names. I think this is a really good place to pause and talk about the difficult names of the Bible. I think a lot of people who are not used to reading the Bible see it as a barrier because of things like this. This is my two cents. The names we have recorded in the Old and New Testaments are names of people from thousands of years ago. They do not bear much resemblance to our modern-day names, even the names that we have today of Jesus, of Paul. Those are even English versions of Greek versions, Paulus and Yeshua. Those are very foreign to you. My point here is this. As you read the Bible, my two cents is, Anytime you come across a name that is not immediately recognizable, don't worry about it. In your mind, notice that that's a name and move on. For the most part, any name that is important in the Bible, you're going to see more than once. And once you start to see the same name over and over, that's when you need to care. If you see a name you don't know, just, just keep reading. Try not to get bogged down in the weird names. If you do that, you're much more likely to kind of come away with understanding the meaning of the text. And so that's what I'm going to ask you tonight. Hopefully, as you are going through this, the names themselves were not a stumbling block. You're kind of skipping over them. What is the purpose or point of Genesis 14? Well, you can find out about a battle that occurred between, well, two battles, really. First, between four kings who are fighting five kings, mm -hmm. and then another battle where Abraham's family goes and rescues Lot. Yes. We have a battle royale. Actually, this is a very exciting chapter. If you can you can kind of forget about the names for a minute. This is like the Lord of the Rings final battle. Uh, you know? So we have a huge battle of armies essentially led by Abram. Now, I'm going to give you this is the Brian Freeman part of tonight. We're going to take a step back into history and understand what's actually happening here. In what is probably the 
second to third millennium BC. So we are talking 2000 BC, 4,000 years ago. The world was a much different place than it is today. The concept of states, meaning countries defined by uh, stable borders that encapsulated many, many cities and towns and peoples did not exist. Really, there was only two concepts in the world, a region and, and a town or a city. Those were each ruled by, essentially, the richest and strongest guy. In antiquity, any town or settlement you had in this period was often ruled by what we would call a king. This is not the king of the monarchy of England that you would think of today. This is not like King Louis of France. This is essentially the guy, and it was always a man, who had the most land, and thus because he had the most land, had the most money through livestock, farming, and he could hire servants. Because he could hire servants, he was the guy in charge. He always ruled by force, and in this period of history, because religion was so important to the people of the earth, he always had some kind of deity or deities that he was associated with because we talked about this, either because of the region or the city or his background, family deity, there would always be some kind of god he worshipped. So, in this period, every city in this area was ruled by a king. Again, a king meaning the strongest thug. There's no other way to say it. And because he had a deity associated with him, he was always the priest, the highest priest. So every town is ruled by a priest king. This is super important in this, in this era. The priest king, was there was always one city and one priest king, and he was in charge. And he was the head of the religion, and he was head of the all the goings-on, mostly the agriculture. And so he had the most money, the most power, and the most people. What we have just found here is they gang up on each other. So here I've got my map of Israel. So this is modern-day Israel. It would be Lebanon, Syria, Turkey. Here's Egypt. This little strip here is Israel. What you have is cities and towns scattered about this region. Every town probably had a priest king. Now, if it was a small town, it wouldn't be a big priest king. It would just be some local guy who was in charge of everything. But make no mistake, there was usually one guy in charge. What happens is, because there is not this idea of one guy over all of the cities, what did they do? They always had to gang up with each other in order to get anything done. So what we find here is all of the different cities have all their different priest kings, rulers essentially, they all have to come together and have this loose coalition to get anything done. So we have five of them versus another four, which is essentially all of my people are going to fight all of your people. And this is how things happened in 2000 BC. It's very different than today, but that's how it worked. Okay, back to the point of the passage. What actually happens here in all of this fighting? Lot is a collateral damage yeah. in the fight. <laughs> and who is Lot? Abram's nephew. Yes, Abram's nephew. Probably someone who, remember, Lot came with Abram to the promised land from Haran, which is up here. 
Because of that, and because Abram didn't have any offspring, it's likely they had some kind of bond. Either he was kind of, in a way, maybe not his adopted son, but someone he felt he had the charge of, right? He, he kind of felt responsible for. So Lot gets kidnapped. Then what? Pretty simple. They... Yeah, somebody uh, comes and tells Abram, and then Abram... Yeah. Yeah, there's a very specific number. He has 318 trained men, which I think is funny that they know that they recorded yes. the exact number of how many men he had. We had that comment, I think, during the flood, didn't we? Maybe it was you, Mike, that said it. We knew exactly how many days there were from the time the water started to the time it receded. And, and we say, because that is such a specific number, it must have meaning. Now, I don't know necessarily if I know the meaning of that, but it meant something to the author. It meant something to the audience. And, and, and I think sometimes it's a, it's a clue that says we think this is a historically accurate recorded number. It could have been we had 400, or it could have been we had 40, right, or hundreds. But instead, the author has chosen to put a very specific number in. So. Well, and it seems like very few men when he's going up against, I don't know if he's going up against ah. or five, but yeah. it's a lot of, I'm sure they had more than 318 people. In That's a good point, hours. actually. Yeah, there's no way to know how many. I mean, yeah. But yeah, it does doesn't seem like a uh, very big army. Yeah. So especially if you're talking, you know, a couple cities worth of yes <laughs> people. So we have evidence of the good guys, Abram. Very small army, and yet. And it's funny that he has an army at all. Yes. Right. Right. That he has trained men who are born in his camps. This seems to be kind of out of nowhere, doesn't it? We just hear about this guy Abram. He goes down to Egypt. Obviously, he must have money, or else he wouldn't be visiting the Pharaoh. But we don't really hear much about his entourage. Suddenly, we do. He's got all these people. Well, it's kind of all related in some mm-hmm. way to him, but not his necessarily direct descendants. Yes. So, yes. All nephews. And mm-hmm. It, it did. I think it mentioned that, right? That they were yeah. all kind of, I don't know what they mean by related, but. Mm-hmm. Born, it said born in his house. So that's a good term. So we should talk about that. Yeah. So his household would be all of the people under his charge and care, including servants and slaves. So we need to make sure that we understand this is how it worked in antiquity. Um, there were people who were bond servants of Abram, people who were indebted to him. This was absolutely the norm in antiquity to have slaves if you were rich. Now, what you consider to be slaves is a probably a little different than they considered. If you're born into bondage or slavery, it was essentially you were a servant of the person who owned you and you worked for them. And the only way that you could not work for them is if you died or you were freed, which didn't happen very often, or you were sold to somebody else. So, so slaves tended to stay slaves. We'll come back to that. There's one big event that happens here. So what happens? The, the, the result is what? He gets him back. It wins. He gets not only Lot back. Yeah. Gets Lot back and all the stuff. And people. Yes. People. So, again, women, children, slaves would have all been taken as booty. 
This was common. This is how the economy of antiquity worked. There was two sources of income. Well, you could say three sources of income. And that was it. That was the entire economy of all these civilizations rested really on three things. Agriculture, mining essentially, like being able to get gold and silver and, and copper out of the ground to make, make other metals, and warfare, which resulted in booty. Essentially, you would go and plunder the next guy's town and take his stuff. That was essentially the only three ways that you were able to make a living in antiquity. Of course, if you lived in a city, you would do other little things, but, but for the most part, that's how you made money. This is very common, and this is very important here because once they get their stuff back, what happens? What happens? Well, the kings want to meet with him, or at least the one king. Yeah, he's like, ah, you got some stuff there. Yeah. What happens with Abram? He basically said he doesn't want all his stuff except for the food they already ate. This is super important. What does that tell you? What does that tell you if you're Abram? And you're watching, or, or you're someone watching him here. What are you? What are you thinking when Abram says all of this? So Abraham, Abraham gave that Michalzik. Yes. He's the one who gave. Yeah. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Yep. So he was tithing. I mean, you could look at it that way, maybe. That is excellent. That is. One very, very important thing. The first thing that happens is that with all this booty back, first thing that Abram does is he gives a portion of this to someone who really had no skin in the game to, to really any great degree, except what? What is Mel- in this passage, what is Melchizedek? He's a priest of the Most High God. El Elyon. He is a priest king, make no mistake, of El Elyon in English, it would be God Most High. God Most High. God Most High is another name for Jehovah, our God, God the Father. There are literally dozens of ways to describe God the Father, Jehovah or Yahweh in the, in the Bible. This is one of them. So this guy who is in this town called Jabus, again, Right now, it's Jabus. It's filled with Jebusites. And they have a priest king, and his name is Melchizedek. That town will become Jerusalem. Was it called Salem? Yes, I, it's also called Salem. In Salem, in, the, in this era, does anyone know what Salem means? Does it mean peace? Shalom. It's shalom, peace. It's peace. So, Jabus or, or Shalem... Salem is, is, yes, Jerusalem. What's the second thing that Abram does with the booty? That's weird. Does, he gives it all back. Yes. Which I think that they would find that very odd. Well, even now, people would find that if you work very hard to do something and then you just give it I'm going to tell you, the army that went with Abram, I will guarantee you looked at him like, you're out of your mind. What are you doing? We just, some of us are dead, right? Or hurt, wounded. 
we just did this. It didn't, uh, and I want you to know too. These are these. We're talking about you know a hundred, two hundred miles distance. This didn't happen overnight. This might have taken a year. To be honest with you, it could have taken months, if not a year, to mount the arm. First, you got to go tell people we're we're getting together. You got to send people, and then they got to organize their people, and then they got to make provisions, and they got to you know get all their equipment ready, and then they got to move out, and they got to go meet somewhere, and then they got to go find them, and then they got to come back. This took a very long time. You went through all that, and now the guy who won, you're just licking your chops like, thank you, I can now go home and retire because I got all this booty. No, that's not what happens. I think it, when we listened to that talk um, about Egypt, um, yeah. I didn't realize, like, because like, when we go to war, or like nowadays, you go to war and you occupy things, mm-hmm. right? But like at this time, when you went to war, you didn't occupy anything. You just went, you looted, brought it all back to your place, and like then they still were autonomous. It's not like I, I ain't staying in Laish. Yeah, I'm coming home. Dan and yeah. like stay in Dan. You just took all their stuff yeah. and brought it to your house, and then they're left alone, which I never really understood before. So I think that makes it more interesting. Mm-hmm. Like so, you know, like from their perspective, they're used to we go and fight. Yeah. We take their stuff and then we keep it. And, and we so go like home. The thought yep. of, like, we just did this and there's no purpose other than we were right. a lot. It's right. very confusing to them, I think. Why did Abram give it back? That's the million dollar question. Well, I think he said, he said, I don't want them to think that they made me rich. God makes me rich. This is the point of the chapter. Abram gives glory, and when we say glory in this case, it was a check he wrote to God. He wants there to be, and in this case it's El Elyon, he wants there to be no question. And again, he could have kept it knowing, God did this for me. If, if Abram was the only one left after all of this, he could have kept it. But there's maybe hundreds, thousands of people watching him right now. He wanted it to be clear to those people, I did not do this. I did not win because of me. I did not, and I don't want to profit from this because I didn't have anything to do with it. Now, I'm just going to ask you in this class, <laughs> how hard would it be for you to give all this back? Hard. Yes. It would be hard, especially if it's that much time and yes. energy and effort. Mm-hmm. And it shows the growth of Abram. Yes. Because yeah. maybe yes. a couple chapters ago, he might not have done the same thing. Abram is growing in his faith, like his belief. He's growing in his maturity. What else? Uh, you could argue that he's got to go home to a tent tonight. His people have been hurt, damaged. Uh, their resources have been harmed. Maybe while he was gone, they didn't harvest that season. There's something to be said for he probably has some element here of patience now. Some. Not much. We'll, we'll find that out in the next chapter. These, these are the traits now we're seeing. I always ask, This is all interesting that we're learning this. What is the application to our lives? Let's see what Abram is doing because that's the application. I want to apply what Abram is doing to my life. Well, 
First of all, he's giving glory to God. Second, he's growing in his faith. He's, he's growing more mature and patient. All of Scripture points to Jesus. That is a root concept we have to start reminding ourselves every time we read a passage. It's easy for us to look at this and in our mind go, oh, look at how Abraham is growing in his faith. He's growing in maturity and patience. Gosh, I feel like I would have, you know, I did this great thing today. Something good happened to me and I on Facebook told the world that God did it for me. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I did a good job, right? I, I'm getting more faithful. I'm getting more pious. And I read my Bible this morning for an hour, and I want to tell people, look, it's very easy for us to read these passages in the Bible and start to kind of see ourselves in their place. Make no mistake, I hope you do to some degree. I want you to feel you're more Abram than Lot. I want you to feel you're more Abram than the king of Sodom. Don't get me wrong. However... In this case, what are we seeing? If I tell you all scripture points to Jesus, how does that change how you interpret this passage? In any way, just throw it out. Well, ultimately, they did all that and didn't expect anything in return. Okay. So, okay. selfless act. All right, yeah. now we're getting at it, you yep. <laughs> application this there's a selflessness here expecting nothing in return if you are the evening sir if you are one of the captured servants and suddenly Abram comes to you and says you're free well, he said that you don't, you're not going to go and be a part of this other guy. You're not going to Sodom. You're not going to the king of Sodom. Well, yeah, they are. The ones who were the Sodom people. Yeah. But a tenth of all means the stuff and the people. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, and maybe we should make this point clear, we may have hundreds or thousands of humans who are part of the booty here. When they went up to Laish, which is, has been renamed Dan by our authors so that the, the audience knows, it was called Laish at the time, there were people there. There were people there, and, they, and some of those people were taken, taken back. Some of the people here were taken, and they were part of these, these caravans. Well, the, the kings that took those people, now they came back. But instead of a tenth of all the people that got returned, whether they were from any one of these five cities, including Sodom, a tenth of them would go to Sodom or, or 20% or whatever. They didn't. They all got to go home to their hometown instead of being carved up. So what I'm getting at in a very abstract way is, here we see an example of grace. Here, Abram is a symbol of, of Christ, if you want to think of it this way, in saying, you're free. You're free. You probably deserved to go with the king of Sodom to be booty, uh, if you were harmed, you probably deserve to be killed for it. We're going to kill the people who, uh, you know, all the people who might have sided with them. I think I'm just trying to say here that what we need to do is interpret this in a Christ-like way and say, I can see this as Abram being an example of Christ here and Christ's grace to say you're free. 
you're not going to be sacrificed. You're not going to be given to somebody else. I said I was going to get through three chapters, and it's already 40 minutes. Maybe we should go to chapter 15, but I don't want to leave it there. Is there anything else, anything about that comment or any other comments that we've made that we want to talk about here, questions about the weirdness? Just like the fact that they talked about the word carpets and some of the belly carpets. Isn't that so interesting? Maybe they're with the saber-toothed tigers. I don't know. Uh, This, this this area here, we call the Plain of Zoar. You know, I haven't personally been there. I've seen pictures and stuff. There, there is. There's. This is again a rift valley. If you're a geologist, you care about this. this. Is a rift valley. There's volcanic action. There are tar pits. There are also salt deposits. Um, there's sulfur deposits and that sort of thing. So we're talking about a geologically active area here. Yes, tar pits. Weird. <clears throat> okay, let's read. Genesis chapter 15, because now we're going to get at the crux of a very important covenant that we're about to experience between God and Abram. Who would like to read Genesis chapter 15 for me? After these things happened, the Lord spoke his word to Abram in a vision. Abram, don't be afraid. I will defend you, and I will give you a great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me? I have no son, so my slave Eliezer from Damascus will get everything I own after I die. Abram said, Look, you have given me no son, so a slave born in my house will inherit everything I have. Then the Lord spoke his word to Abram, He will not be the one to inherit what you have. You will have a son of your own who will inherit what you have. Then God led Abram outside and said, Look at the sky. There are so many stars you cannot count them. Your descendants also will be too many to count. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord accepted Abram's faith, and that faith made him right with God. God said to Abram, I am the Lord who led you out of Ur of Babylonia so that I could give you this land to own. But Abram said, Lord God, how can I be sure that I will own this land? The Lord said to Abram, Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old male sheep, a dove, and a young pigeon. Abram brought them all to God. Then Abram killed the animals and cut each of them into two pieces, laying each half opposite the other half. But he did not cut the birds in half. Later, large birds flew down to eat the animals, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. While he was asleep, a very terrible darkness came. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers and travel in a land they don't own. The people there will make them slaves and be cruel to them for 400 years. But I will punish the nation where they are slaves. Then your descendants will leave that land, taking great wealth with them. And you, Abram, will die in peace and will be buried at an old age. After your great-great-grandchildren are born, your people will come to this land again. It will take that long because I am not yet going to punish the Amorites for their evil behavior. After the sun went down, it was very dark. Suddenly a smoking fire pot and blazing torch passed between the halves of the dead animals. So on that day the Lord made an agreement with Abram and said, I will give to your descendants this land between the river of Egypt and the great river Euphrates. This is the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. What is the point or points of Genesis chapter 15? In 6. There's 15 6. Let's see. That uh, Abraham um, believed the Lord and he was counted the Lord credited him with righteousness and just as we have, if, have faith in the Lord now we're, we're righteous with God I mean, that's the key that, that verse is quoted four times in the New Testament alone 
that is rock solid. Faith. Faith in God makes us righteous. Does our works make us righteous? Does following the law make us righteous? Can I just be a good person and be righteous? We have to look at that statement alone and say that's how we get righteous. Yeah, there's, Excellent. There's a verse in Isaiah, I think, that God refers to our works as dirty rags. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's Christ and it's yeah. a gift of God. Excellent. Excellent. Righteous. Which is a gift. Yes, this is exactly it. Mm-hmm. It's a gift. Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you. It's like a renewal of the covenant that he made earlier. Yeah. Okay. And maybe an expansion. <laughs> if you read who or what came to Abram, a vision which was of what? The Lord. The Lord. But more specifically, huh? the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to him. Again, this is not an accident, folks. Many times it says that in here. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Abram. And Abram said this. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And then he took him outside. The Lord... His word, we, we see this some, they're synonymous here. The word and the Lord are the same here. What he says and the Lord, they're the same. That has a parallel in the New Testament, doesn't it? And then what? He's told Abraham that I am your shield and your reward shall be very So, and, I mean, Abraham, in thinking in a worldly sense, yes. here I'm this old man, yep. and he's telling him he's going to have many descendants. He's kind of thinking, well, you know. But he still had faith in what he said, you know. I want you to think about this, and this is again is our application. I'm going to give you a very short tidbit in in antiquity. Having male descendants was everything in antiquity. I want you to think about it for a minute, not just for you, because remember there wasn't like uh, trust fund babies and inher- and wills and inheritances and lawyers. You had essentially your agricultural work. If you owned land, that was your property, and that's how you made your money. Your family was in charge of the land. When you died, in order for your family members to be taken care of there ha- and your, in your household, there had to be a male heir to inherit that, or else it was up for grabs. So that's the first thing. There's an economic side to this. The second is a cultural thing. If you were barren, you were shunned. It was a huge embarrassment of shame if you did not have children. Women who were barren, and again, remember in antiquity, we didn't know the things that physicians know today. It takes two to tango, right? And and many times the male has has reproductive issues that prevent him from from having offspring. If a woman didn't, didn't get pregnant, it was always blamed on her, and she would bear the shame of barrenness. So Abram has a side of this. Sarai has a side of this. Shame of worry. We see this guy's name in here, Eleazar of Damascus. I think this is the only place in the Bible we hear this. We're not really sure who this guy is, but we know what he is. If, if Abram had a household, certainly of either closely related people or of servants, 
In antiquity, what you would do is adopt one of those people who was very trustworthy and they would become your adopted heir. So already, we see how Abram is already kind of struggling, right? We heard this before. God has come to him and said, Abram, I'm going to give you kids, don't worry. But how long has it been since he heard that? <laughs> about, about six seasons of Matlock, right? Uh, he's not getting any younger. And, and, and how many years have elapsed since he heard that? And he was already old, and now he's even older, and Sarai is older. And he's thinking to himself what we would. This ain't going to happen. He's already decided he's going to make this guy an heir, even though God told him, I will bless you and your descendants. Not meaning, and and you have to remember in the Hebrew, your seed. We forget this in the English. The Hebrew is very clear. Abram, you and your seed will be blessed. Now that only means one thing, your physical, biological offspring. But here already, he's doubting it. But what does God do when the first thing that Abram says is, I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. What did God do? Did God get mad? <laughs> did God rip him one? What happened? He just speaks to him matter-of-factly. No, that's not true. He doesn't. He just says, no, trust me. Trust me. It's all good, bro. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Yeah, he tells him your own son will be your heir. He's very mad. He goes, look, bro, your son will be your heir, yes. And to Abram's credit, then when God reassured him, he believed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's even before, so he believes yes. before God is so kind to him by like showing him proof of the covenant in a way that Abram understands by the animals and walking through them and stuff. You, you I think, know about this, right? You, you've heard about this in my class and others. What is that? What just happened there with the animals and stuff? Can you elaborate? So like when people would make a covenant, they would take animals and separate them in half, and then you would walk through, both parties would walk through, and then you would know that if you don't fulfill your part of the contract, you'll be like these animals, yeah. like split in, like you will die because you didn't fulfill your part of the covenant. It was very serious. And, and this is the important part too. Yes, that is 100% true. Often this would happen between a, a king and his soldiers. And often this would happen after a failed battle. Now I want you to think for a minute. Abram's probably watching this like, oh geez. <laughs> he sees these animals, you know, the animals, he's doing it, he's cutting it, he's putting them apart. What would happen is the king or the military leader or what have you would then make the soldiers walk through this, saying, all right, this is a covenant between you and me. I'm going to let you live you screwed it up really bad in this, this battle we just lost, and you're all still alive somehow. Here's what I'm going to do. Cut these animals, I'm going to put them on the side, and you're going to walk through them. And guess what that told the soldiers? <laughs> you better not mess up. Because I'm letting you live as a gift as long as the next time you go out to battle, you don't mess up or you're going to be like those animals. So I want you to think about that for a minute too, because that is, that is also part of this. Now I want you thinking about that. <clears throat> Who walked through the animals? It was God, and then Abram would kind of—he was kind of having a vision of that, right? Yes. But God was doing the walking through. Yes. That's, I was, I was, that's what I thought. I just yes. Now, given what I just told you and what we just realized, what does that tell you? 
It wasn't the lesser party. That, it wasn't the greater party that walked through the annals. It's the lesser party. Of yes, the and usually. So God is definitely not the lesser party yes. to be walking through. Did he make Abram walk through it? According to the text, if we read it literally. It's like he was just <clears throat> seeing it. He didn't walk through it. Abram didn't walk. Only God walked through it. How does that strike you? He really just want, he wants Abram. Well, I mean, it's kind of like he's rewarding him for Abram had faith then. Yes. And so God's rewarding that faith by giving him more reason to have that faith. Yes. Folks, kind of restating. Yes. I want to say that you know, there's still nothing Abram can do. Only God can. Yes. Do this. Only God can make this covenant. Yes. There's nothing you can do except trust that it'll happen. How so, awesome! It's an unconditional. Yes. There was no. That is really important, Craig. That is really important. At nowhere in here do we see in this particular covenant any kind of condition put on Abram. This was one-sided and one-sided only. A promise from our Creator to say, you don't have to worry. I have decided that I'm going to bless you no matter what. No matter what. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. How do you think that would have gone over in antiquity? We've talked about how people saw gods in the past. How did they see them? What were deities like back then? Vengeful. Vengeful. Selfish. selfish. It was always in there. They were, they were the house in Vegas. The house always won. They didn't give a rip about you. If you're hearing this for the first time of your ancestor, Abram, and knowing what you know about the gods you know, in quotes of the universe, how does that strike you? This is remarkable. You're telling me the creator who apparently there's only one and he's real, he cares so much about me that he actually made a promise that I didn't have to keep anything. Folks, that is grace. No strings attached. As, and it started with the faith. It started with the faith. Some kernel of faith that we know wasn't perfect. Abram was not perfect. He, is, he will continue to not be perfect. All he needed was a kernel of faith to believe and trust. Again, that's I get this thing. This is, this is more about trust. And because of that, God gave him an everlasting... Everlasting! That's another part of this. I can't emphasize that enough. How long is everlasting, Craig? More than we can comprehend. Yes. 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 Only God knows Yes. I really believe this is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. We have just read it. And then God said in in verse 13, Know for certain your descendants will be strangers in a land and enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Now already, he's telling him the story. Not only are you going to have this, but I'm giving you a taste of what's going to happen in the future. As for you... He's telling him, look, you're going to have offspring. There's going to be so many, you can't count them. By the way, there's, they're going to go through a lot of trials, not do so hot. But you, again, another part of this promise, you will go down to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Literally, there's nothing here bad for Abram. Nothing. Looks like a good deal. Sounds good, yes. It's, a, it's like a one-sided deal. It's like... Here, you get it. Take it. Yeah, 
receive his grace. Yes, yes. Makes you think you want something like that. Yeah. And we do. We do. You know. Yeah. And guess what? We do. We get it. We do get it. Again, remember, all scripture points to Jesus. We can see this very clearly here. This is the really clear one. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and trust him, meaning you continually trust him, you will receive a gift at some point when you have a saving faith that cannot be destroyed, it cannot be taken, forever. No strings attached. Folks, you are Abram in this case at some point. If you have a saving faith, you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you've reached a point where you will have a covenant with God that cannot be revoked, it cannot be destroyed. You get it. You get it. What do you think of that? Nothing better than that. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What is our take home here tonight? We're going we're gonna to stop at, ch- at chapter six, uh, 15. We'll, we'll go ahead with 16 next time. But w- what is your take home message here? From the very beginning, uh, it's outlined for us to have yeah. faith in God yeah. yep. and uh, n- no other God, yep. uh, no other idol. Have faith in God, trust in God. Yeah, have faith or trust yeah. in the true God. Yep. You will expect. You will be rewarded. And, and you will have the reward. Why wouldn't you? He's your creator. Yes. And redeemer. Yes. Yep. He's all knowing, all good, and he's uh, working all things for your good, whether you yes. understand that or not, because he has a whole different perspective on life than you do. And he's infinitely wise and omniscient. I love this. Um, I mean, it's, in life apart from God, there's a futility in that. You know? Yes. This is a great one, Craig. God has your best interest at heart, not your worst. He is not vindictive. He is not, he is not ruthless. He's not upset that he, you know, he created you personally and wants to take that back. For every single one of us, saved or not, he has your best interest at heart. Now, whether you respond, that's, that takes a choice on our part, but that's the other thing. Whether we see it or not, I think Craig made a point there. Sometimes it's hard to see. Hard to see, but he's working. What else? Sometimes best to us. Ah. Feels like what Craig was saying. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes best doesn't feel best to us, but God knows more than we do. <laughs> that is great. Best doesn't always feel best. You know. Because he's even in this passage, he's saying like, you know, your your descendants are going to be strangers, and they're going to be. Slaves mm-hmm. and they're going to be cruel mm-hmm. to them for four hundred years. Mm-hmm. But he has a purpose for that. Yeah, you know, he's like, okay, it's going to take that long because I'm not yet going to punish the Amorites. So he's, you know, he has a purpose. Now, maybe put words in your mouth. God has a purpose for everything and everyone. There's a part to play here. What else? That 
it's okay to need reassurance for yes. God. Because, you know, God told Abram that he was going to, you know, have a descendant, you know, and he's not understanding God's timing yet because God's timing is taking a while. And, you know, yeah. he's like, needs reassurance, and then God reassures him. And so when he does reassure him, yes, then he accepts that. And that's what made him right with God, his faith. So... But it was okay to need reassurance. God didn't yeah. like smite him for that or anything. You know? Many of us have had parents at some point who, if you keep pestering them, are you sure? Are you sure? They get angry. You might have relationships like that. As a child, I felt weird about asking God, do you, do you really care about me? Is this really going to happen? Because what would Satan tell you? Well, you're calling God a liar. You're saying God isn't trustworthy. I'm going to tell you right now, the entire Bible is filled with examples where humans seek reassurance from God and he gives it. It is not a sin to tell God you're weak and you're lonely and you just don't know. I love this, Laura. I love that you said this. It's okay to need reassurance from God. Absolutely 100%. Because guess what? He'll give it to you. Because well, he knows your heart. Yeah. He knows if you're just like, I don't yeah. understand God. Yeah. I'm, you know, or if you're trying to like, yes. trust him, right? Right. He knows where, yep. you know, where your heart's coming from. Yeah. I love that. If you have a complete faith in God also, uh, his grace covers all sin. Yes. You can see that Abraham, you know, was not perfect. Yep. God's grace. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This. I love it. I love it. And guess what? Chapter twenty is titled Abraham's Treachery. Guess what? It's past, present, and future. The grace covers all sin now and forevermore. Why? Because it's all-encompassing. It is a covenant that says, this is my gift to you. You believed in me, and this is my gift. There was no strings attached. Nothing that you can do can screw it up, because I've seen it all. How awesome is that? Anything? Last word? Just, uh, just keep thinking about, you know, knowing how he's going to screw up again, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know we all do that, right? We mm-hmm. we get impatience and yeah. we decide to make decisions. In this case, he appointed, you know, he he, he had already appointed his successor basically, yeah. and mm-hmm. God's like, no, 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 he's just got to wait this out. Yeah, and we, mm-hmm. I'm sure we all do that all the time. Mm-hmm. We, well, I don't know what to do, so this is what I'm going to do today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just have to have that patience. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, contentment, more or less. If if we can rely on God, we will, we will have. Yes. Yes. We don't have to. Uh, when we go after things in our own. Mm-hmm. When, when we decide how we're going to do it without necessarily getting God involved in, you know, we, we have to learn that lesson again. Yes. And again and again. Yep. Here's a question. 
Did at any point God say how he was going to bless, how he was going to make this work? No. No. What do we as humans do? Yeah. Say it again. Well, just she said, you know, yeah. God is our best. Mm-hmm. He will do what's best, even though mm-hmm. that's not what we understand. But if he makes a promise, we can trust that. Now, in Abraham, or Abram's mind at the time, what I'm getting at here is, he could have very quickly, and if he did, it's not recorded, well, how are you going to give me a son? When are you going to give me a son? Right? How is this going to work? What's the timeline? What's the roadmap? Right? What are humans doing? They're trying to figure all this out in their mind, and they're going, well, well, Sarai's barren, so am I going to marry another woman? Is Sarai going to suddenly become 40 years younger? You know what I'm saying here? But God doesn't play that way usually, and that's what I think we struggle with, is we have a promise, we have to trust Him, but the how and and the when is something very hard for us to let go of. Let go of it. Anything from... No, I was just thinking, you know, like that's us trying to control. Yes. We're not giving the control to God. Yes. You know. Yes. And even Abraham does that. Yep. He yep. comes up with his own plan to make it happen. We try and control the universe. As the older I get, that's it. That is exactly it. You know, I, I told my kids in a middle school group last week, I said the root of all sin is pride. It really is. It's the belief that you know better than God. <laughs> you want to control it. You want to know it. And that's it. That's a sin. Because you're the idol. Yes. Right. You are yes. Yep. Yep. Here's yeah. interesting in that conversation. I'm sorry. <laughs> With uh, Godhead, with Joel, you know, he said, "Do you want to yeah. try to be God?" I love <laughs> go that. Ahead. I love <laughs> go that. Ahead and take mm-hmm. Here you go. Here's the keys, right? <laughs> right? Where were you when the foundations were laid? Tell me if you know. Oh, I love that. I love it. You're like, okay, sorry. <laughs> well, this was great. We'll wrap it up for tonight. Next week, we'll start again with the next stage of Abram's life, and talk about how he gets those kids. All right. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.